You are listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about this show, as well as the other show I do, How to Stan, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com and subscribe to my newsletter at howtostan.substack.com. K-pop interviews, album reviews, and more. Subscribing is free, but if you want to continue to support my work, feel free to donate. Click the support the show button on the homepage at 17karatkpop.weebly.com. Hello everybody. Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. There's a lot to get to today. I haven't had a news roundup episode since 2021 now, so lots to cover. Quick PSA first though. By the time this episode is out, I will have had two more interviews on my site in howtostand.substack.com, but 17karatkpop.weebly.com, the interview section and the blog section. My new interviews with Wuwa and Uptension. Really exciting interviews I got to do recently, and if you want to in the future, be someone who gets early access to those interviews. Become a subscriber. And most of the interviews I do just keep free. You don't even have to become a paying subscriber. Howtostand.substack.com Now let's dive into some more serious news. Big topic one, we have to talk about this whole situation with Jay. It's actually a Jay and Jay double feature of news in a way. First of all, Jay Park has made headlines recently because he founded both AOMG and co-founded Hire Company, and he's stepping down as CEO of both. Really interesting timing because the one he established before the other was AOMG back in 2013, so if he had stuck around the rest of this year, he could have made it to a 10-year anniversary, but I guess he felt like he didn't want to wait for the symbolism and just leave now. So he says he will stay on in an advisory capacity for both AOMG and Hire, but he will not be CEO there any longer. It's also interesting timing that this news comes just a day after he tweeted, quote, if I ever retire or disappear, make sure to miss me. He's clearly ready for something brand new. Reportedly, that something new might be another company. And Kaiko is in talks to invest heavily in this new agency he might set up. As of recording time, all kind of just rumors still. And Jay Park might debut an idol group through a yet-to-be-announced agency. I could honestly see him thriving in that role of mentoring a new group. I feel like that group would be very unique, very special, very themselves, allowed to just be super original and hands-on. So whatever the future has in store, I find it exciting, honestly, more than sad news. And it's not like he can't just pop back up on like a 10 millionth collab with Grey or something whenever he wants to. As for the other Jay making headlines, Jay from Day 6 is no longer Jay from Day 6. Apparently, after a long talk with JYP Entertainment, it was a mutual decision to end his contract. So at first, there had been times where he would tweet out his frustration about his company, JYP Entertainment, claiming they weren't supporting his solo endeavors enough, or even Day 6's endeavors. Then he gave that interview to BuzzFeed we talked about on a previous episode of this show, basically defending his boss 100%, saying fans need to stop sending their anger towards him online, that his boss is actually supportive, but he's just not a good fit for the company and wants to part ways. It was an odd back and forth that we talked about before on this show. Anyway, then he announced that he was taking a break from Day 6. 
And actually, in that BuzzFeed interview, he said specifically, I'm not leaving day six. Please consider me to still be a part of that group, even when I take time away for solo music. That tide seemed to quickly turn because after he issued that statement saying he was taking a break from the group, felt like it would be in the in fairness to the band members to do his own thing for a while. Move the negative spotlight off his bandmates. Then he issued this announcement about officially leaving the group. There really wasn't tons of time, maybe just a few weeks, between when he said he would take a break from the group, but was still insisting, do still consider me a part of the group, and when he said, I'm no longer having anything to do with them. I said quite optimistically, this might be good for him, and lead to a lot of great music with this freedom. The sense that he's no longer muzzled, I said we'd probably see from him in the future some very emotional and retaliatory, in a way, music and storytelling. I was way too right, because things have kind of really taken an extreme turn with him. And the most recent issue that happened was he he used a very derogatory term on a Twitch livestream towards his once good friend, Jamie, aka Jimin Park, the famous singer, and he really just like busted a gut. Like, he called her a derogatory term, referred to her in hurtful ways, and laughed like it was the funniest thing in the world, then joked about her lawyers coming after him. It was a big, extremely long, drawn-out section of his livestream. Jamie actually posted some tweets about, hey, I've always been there for you. Why would you make me the butt of a joke for the clout online? Really sad you would throw your friends under the bus to be a punchline. He realized he really hurt her, so he posted an apology statement to Twitter saying, Hey, I'm sorry, I thought it was just friendly banter. I had no ill will towards you. Didn't mean to really hurt your feelings. And I just thought, like, a baddie was synonymous with that term I used. I didn't realize they weren't synonymous. They very much are not, but... So Twitter really decided to do its thing with fans compiling these long Twitter threads with examples of past instances where they said he said or did something super out of pocket, just basically disrespecting people he used to praise, trolling, typical Twitch streamer language. And he has not issued an apology or anything, any acknowledgement of anything else compiled in the threads. He just specifically, as of recording time, has addressed what he said about Jamie. But this is actually like the millionth time he has issued an apology for something he said online or did just like in the past year. Like it's become a Lena Dunham apologizes of the K-pop world for him. Where it's like every other day it feels like he said or did something he wants people to forgive him for. But he really is enjoying his newfound freedom, talking about K-pop in the world of it as this big manufactured thing, and he kind of refers to his friends from that world as being cogs in that machine is that he's alluded to. His recent tweets include things like, quote, For the first time in a long time, I am content, unquote, and a picture Rick Rubin tweeted of a quote that says, quote, All that matters is that you get to express yourself and the audience gets something that speaks to them, even if these two are not the same, unquote. Basically, the past year has been full of him trying to unmuzzle himself, feeling freer to say and do whatever. Which, of course, is both a good thing and a concerning thing when his friends become the butt of his jokes. Okay, so first of all, I have a very nuanced opinion about this issue and about everything going on with him the past year because... I'm of two minds. One is just my views on quote-unquote cancel culture, 
which is a stupid term, frankly. And the other part of me is very concerned about his behavior. So I'm going to focus on the overall tone of these sexualizing terms, the misogynistic terms, that type of commentary. Because there are other things he said, like about his friends being cogs in the K-pop machine, and other things he said that deserve their own time to be called out and talked about, and some may need more context. Not saying it's okay, I'm just saying from his perspective, where his train of thought was going, there may have been retractions later in his comment or further explanation of what he meant by that. It's just every comment someone makes that draws vitriol online maybe should be looked at on its own rather than threaded into this big thing. Because my issue, I guess, with quote-unquote cancel culture is that suddenly things an artist has said that are awful and need to be called out get in the same thread, the same pile-on as separate issues with different levels of severity, different levels of condemnability, I guess. And then everything gets conflated into, yeah, this person's bad. And each of those issues really should be unpacked on its own. My issue, I guess, with the cancel culture term is that it's so stupid and broad that it applies to things that it shouldn't and things that it should, and it all just gets conflated too much. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The least iconic couple in the world, Twitter and Nuance. So so I'm just not a fan of these quote-unquote exposure threads that try to suddenly say, oh, that's not the only time they've done something bad. Here's a compilation of other times they've done something bad. Because then suddenly we're pulling together a bunch of instances that have such varying degrees of questionability, context or not context. Too much distillation of everything they've said and done that it starts to feel like you're actually diluting your argument. You're actually making it harder to agree with because then people can say, come on, that's a little excessive, right? So let's say, for example, I said something horrible and hateful, and I also one day said something that people thought meant I was really not a fan of cats. I don't know. The animals, not the movie. No one would mind if I didn't like the movie, which I didn't anyway. Then people might be calling out the super hateful thing I said, but then someone might say, that's not all. Here's what else she said before, and include in the thread comments like an anti-cat thing I said. And then it gives my defenders a reason to say, hey, you're being unfair. This argument is overall not credible because that was stupid. That comment was out of pocket and just whatever. It was not as concerning, though, so you're really just out to get her. Versus if you kept the conversation about that one specific thing, then you could have a more constructive argument and actually win people over to say, you know what, that is pretty serious. And then you're on the same page more. So in general... This type of thing, resurfacing all of these other things he said before, I'm not a fan of just because it's, Twitter's just not the place to have a productive conversation about all of that, grouped into the same discussion. But in terms of this specific incident, I am glad people called it out online and came to Jamie's defense because, you know, Jamie's even opened up about previously feeling sexualized by the media at such a young age. So for him to say that just feels especially brutal, and I feel real bad for her. It's honestly just been very concerning and off-putting the past year to just see how quickly he's really done some classic Twitch streamer things. 
like use terms like that and then laugh like it's the funniest thing in the world when it's not that funny you know he's kind of playing it up for the camera it just feels very clout chasey and hurtful it's just interesting because it seems like very quickly your sense of I'm free to finally say what I want, curse as much as I want, bash people as much as I want, Twitch stream as much as I want and no one's filtering me, that can very quickly turn into hurting people, making them the butt of your jokes and thinking, whatever, I deserve to now because I'm unmuzzled, I deserve this freedom. With that comes some responsibility to your Twitch viewers or whoever. So I think the bigger issue with some of the comments he's made is not so much about the comments but the people they affect and the lack of thought about who it affects. I think it's important not to, as he has characterized, being in a system you feel is suppressing your freedom to truly speak your mind, you feel like you are just a cog in a machine, it's important not to make that be treated as the polar opposite being desirable, which is never giving a care about what you say or how it will affect someone. You can swing too fast from one end to the other, not realizing that there are important factors of each. The condemnation of the K-pop industry he has now, I kind of in some ways get that why he would feel frustrated, feel a lack of ability to express himself freely, pressure to maintain a wholesome image, but that doesn't mean the second you don't have to put up that front, you should put up the other front of the opposite of friendly and wholesome and all that. You know, I think the important thing for him to keep in mind going forward will be that, like it or not, he is influential. So as much as he wishes he could just talk totally unfiltered, be totally unfiltered, in this life, you have to realize when you're online who you may be hurting. And the greater implications of what you say that shouldn't just be a concern when you are forced to make that a concern. It should still be an important value to him outside of the K-pop world. He shouldn't abandon with the K-pop world some aspects of it. And by totally brushing off the whole industry as messed up, he also brushes off the important lessons that industry teaches people, like the importance of being mindful of what you say so you're not hurting other people, the importance of not causing misunderstandings and stuff. I just think he benefits more from some of the life lessons his time in K-pop taught him than he realizes. And there are a lot of concerning aspects of the industry. And there are some redeeming qualities that I wish he fully appreciated. If you're a longtime listener, you know that I'm not picking a side here. So if you're saying, whose side are you on? His or JYP Entertainment or whatever. I've said my view on all this my thoughts about where the concern should be focused, something he should keep in mind, and others when they try to leave the world of K-pop, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater with that, etc. This is just such an important nuanced conversation that I'm not saying I'm team him or team them. I see where they're coming from and I hope they keep, at the end of the day, concern and attention to the ripple effects of their actions and influence, what effect those have going forward. So if you're a long-time listener, you know I'm gonna say, hey, I'm on either side. It's not a picking sides thing. I reject that dichotomy. Those are my thoughts on this. Let's move on to something much more light and cheerful. Let's talk a bit more about Weaver's Con, the special New Year's Eve concert featuring some Weaver's artists. 42 songs were performed for a total of 230 minutes. It was an extravaganza. 
BTS were not there because of their break, but Bumzu, who worked on Super Tuna, Jin's trot song, was there performing that night. And I wonder if pre-COVID diagnosis slash isolation, if Jin had a surprise cameo and would have performed a bit of Super Tuna during this show. I know he's on a break, but come on. We can easily picture a BTS member taking a break away from the break for a cameo. So maybe that was in the works. I don't know. Seventeen got to end the night, which was super exciting. Bringing to life in yet another new way. Classics like Hit and Clap. And now under the whole big hit music hype umbrella, Justin Bieber was there, remotely but with a live band, which was nice, to perform five songs. Everyone came together at the end to sing Last Festival. It was really nice. My favorite thing about this show would have to be the tribute it paid, the homage to Sataiji and Boys. It's their 30th anniversary this year. And so each of these acts sang their own cover of a Sataiji and Boys song. TXT sitting Come Back Home was a personal highlight to me. It was a really nice night to kind of pass the torch. And it was a way to pay tribute to OG K-pop stars and celebrate TXT from S9 and hyphen these younger acts that are really up and coming. Speaking of exciting performances, NCT 127 They've revealed a world tour is coming, and I am psyched out of my mind, but I'll fangirl more after the microphone is off and after the actual dates come out. But they did have their first show in South Korea, and as of recording time, they are gearing up for the Japanese shows, and after that, I bet they announce more legs of the tour. During this show in Seoul, Taeyeon had a new solo stage, performing an unreleased song called Moonlight. It's a really sultry song about dancing under the moonlight. And I'm very excited for the day it's officially released. Speaking of Taeyeon, his SoundCloud recently hit some big milestones. It recently surpassed 28 million streams, plus GTA reached 2 million, and he just surpassed 700,000 monthly Spotify listeners. NCT really conquered till the very end of this year, because Sticker became the longest charting album on the Billboard 200 chart for 2021. Plus, NCT as a whole sold nearly 11 million album copies this year, and closed out the year with the Sticker remixes, which was a delightful treat. Always something exciting in the works if you're an N-Citizen. Let's talk live shows now. The show was on hiatus when these tickets went on sale, so I apologize for that, but there may still be $20 P2 section tickets out there somewhere. Ghost 9 is touring the USA this month. They'll be in LA January 15th, then San Francisco, New York, and Boston. With some cool VIP benefits. High touches, video calls, sound check access, individual photo ops, postcards, photo cards, etc. ATs had to postpone the European leg of their coming world tour, but they did add another LA date, and the USA dates are still as of recording time, going forward as scheduled. But the catwalk has been removed, so ATs decided they will still have the USA dates, but on a stage without a catwalk, don't expect any running through the crowd surprises or anything like that during the show. Straight Kids have also revealed they plan to go on a world tour this year and release two new albums this year. And before all that excitement kicks off, you might get a little teaser of it at their online and offline fan meeting February 12th and 13th. The 13th is the one you can access through Beyond Live. Lastly, Jenho from 2PM has a solo fan meeting that will be online and offline, and you can stream via Beyond Live 
5 p.m. both days, Korean time, January 22nd and 23rd, and it's part of his big birthday celebration. Alright, buckle up, because it's been a while, and there is a boatload of rapid-fire headlines to cover today. Three BTS members got COVID on Christmas, whoop-de-doo, but they have since recovered by January 4th after New Year's celebrations. Wonderful holiday season for them. Yu Jae-suk got COVID, but recovered. Chae one tested positive, recovered in about a week. Yeon Soon from Very Very tested positive, so the group quickly put an end to their USA tour. Four members of Omega X got COVID. Their promo schedule was canceled partway through. Kepler, Xiaoting, and Mashiro got it. They've both since recovered. But some award shows have still gone on. The KBS Entertainment Awards were held. Son Gaten got the Popularity Award. TXT won the Digital Content Award. Solar was one of the winners of Best Entertainer in Show and Variety. And for Best Couple, one win went to Jane Wonyun from IVE and Sunhoon from Enhyphen for Music Bank MCing. Some of the wins at the NBC Entertainment Awards, Miju from Lovelies, Yu Jae-suk, MSG Wannabe, Ki, Sandra Park, Yuri from Girls' Generation, and Jun Soyeon. Golden Disc Award wins include IU, BTS, Lee Mujin, Espa, Stacey, Hayes, Akmu, Seventeen, TXT, N-Hyphen, Jun Somi, Brave Girls, The Boys, and NCT. Woozy had his first ever solo pictorial with Marie Claire Korea. And of course, he dropped his solo mixtape, Ruby, which we love. It topped iTunes in 18 countries and entered the top 10 of iTunes in 35. We will definitely talk more about that song, but I'm saving it for a future episode. BTS is releasing BTS-designed merch. RM designed this mini wind chime, very thoughtfully miniature so it can fit on a desk or something, somewhere for people who don't have a balcony or a deck or something like that, and also thoughtfully... He designed these gray fleece-lined joggers that have pockets roomy enough to put small weights in, like if you're going to the gym. V designed this handbag that looks like such a luxury good. The resale price is going to be insane for that. Suga designed a guitar pick necklace and a cool notebook set. It's very cool. And funny, because every time we hear they're taking a break, they still have stuff they worked on a while ago being released. So it's not like it really feels like they're on a break. Past few weeks, we've still been getting the Bangtan Bomb videos, these merch drops, etc. BTS's song Butter was the most liked song in the pop category for Odyssey, and the most viewed Odyssey check-in interviews were BTS's and Lisa from Blackpink's. I previously addressed how SM Entertainment temporarily thought it was best to not upload Baekhyun's monthly vlogs because of military rules about what money-making behavior you can do on the side, some ambiguity there, etc. They decided, hopefully due to productive fan backlash, this is cleared. So Baekhyun's monthly vlogs that he recorded ahead of time will continue to be released on a monthly basis, and the ones that they took down previously have been re-uploaded. Checkmate, a co-ed group I was really rooting for, honestly. You and Drum, such good songs. They just debuted in September 2020, but they've disbanded already. The company said they plan to support each of the artist's solo careers. Unclear if that was referring to just in general or specific plans for solo careers under the company, but fingers crossed for all of their future success. 
in fact, left Star Empire Entertainment after a contract expiration. But the wording was really odd, because the announcement said Infect is leaving the agency, rather than saying the names of the individual members. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but they make it sound like the group is still this collective whole, and that Infect as a whole is just seeking new management. So they didn't actually use the word disband, so I don't know what's going on with them. My guess is that they're just going to pursue solo careers, and the wording was just weird here, but you never know. They've actually been together since early 2016, so I wouldn't be surprised if they're done by now, and they want to move on to solo stuff. Meanwhile, Nana from After School renewed a contract with Pletus Entertainment for a third time. Hassan Woon has switched over to Big Planet Made, Onda left YG Entertainment, so she's now a Sublime Artist Agency, a company I would really keep your eyes on. Because Yain from Lovelies also just signed with them. They're taking on a lot of newer soloists. Speaking of Lovelies, Jisoo just signed with Mystic Story, and Kay just signed with Palm Tree Island as a musical actress. Nam Jihyun, formerly of 4Minute, just signed with FN Entertainment to focus on acting under them. Kim Nayeon, formerly of Goo Goo Dan, signed with Goodman Story Entertainment. Somi from Daya has left Pocket Doll Studio. Iran from Everglow will spend January and February back in China. She hasn't seen her family in forever since the pandemic hit, so she's going back to China for the next two months. So Everglow's promotion will go on with just five members. Ken from Vix just got discharged from the military. And Dowoon from Day 6 announced he's enlisting earlier than he has to, January 17th. B.I. performed as the first Asian artist to ever perform at the Grammy Global Spin event, January 4th. Yeonjun from TXT joined Instagram. Congrats to Choa from Crayon Pop, who had a Christmas wedding. So beautiful. BTS has been nominated for Best International Group at the Brit Awards, and they won the Special International Music Award at the Japan Records Awards. IU is the new face of Pepsi. Moonbeal started her own YouTube channel, as did 1OK Rock's Tomoya. Congrats to Lena from CSJH The Grace, who welcomed her second child. Jonghyun from Twice set out their Christmas concert due to health issues. Sounds like she's still set to perform during their upcoming world tour, though. Woonji from TO1 is going on an anxiety-related hiatus. Neil and Shane Jo from Teen Top have decided they will still promote with Teen Top when needed, but they, as solo artists, will not be renewing their contracts with Top Media. Those expire January 10th. Who Are You? by Bam Bam and Solgi topped iTunes in 21 regions. Minho's new song Heartbreak topped iTunes in 14 international regions. V's new OST Christmas Tree is the first Korean solo song to ever reach number one on Billboard's digital song sales chart. TXT became the only Korean act to debut three albums on the Billboard 200 album chart for 2021. BTS's Butter was confirmed to be the number one selling single in the USA in 2021 with over 1.89 million digital copies. N-Hyphen's Dimension Answer surpassed 630,000 stock pre-orders and topped iTunes in 10 regions. Suga's collab with Juice World, Girl of My Dreams, helped him become the first Korean soloist to ever top Billboard's digital song sales chart. Twice made their Billboard Pop Radio Airplay chart debut with The Feels. 
J-pop icon Lisa surpassed 10 million total YouTube views. BTS became the first foreign artist to top Oricon's year-end album chart since Michael Jackson 37 years ago. Blackpink's Lisa continues to break solo records. Money surpassed 300 million streams in the fastest time for any K-pop soloist. Took 112 days. And the video recently surpassed 400 million views, as did La Lisa. She also became the fastest K-pop soloist to reach 500 million streams across all credits. And now it's time for a super quick rundown of view count milestones that were just reached on K-pop music videos. 60 million views on Hyuna and Dawn's Ping Pong, 100 million Henry, Kyuhyun, and Taemin's Trap, what an iconic throwback, and So You and Jungkyo's Sum. 200 million, BTS's Dynamite, the choreography version. 400 million, Twice's Feel Special, BTS's Permission to Dance. And for the first time reaching this much, Itsy with Wannabe. 600 million, Twice's What is Love. And 4.3 billion, still reigning supreme, size Gundam Style. Fun fact, actually, Gundam actually translates to South Side of the River. That's your fun fact of the day. If you pick apart Gan and Nam, you're really seeing the river on the south side. Who would have thought that the song taking over the world and still reigning supreme on YouTube would be technically about a river? They say love is a river and we all love Gundam style. Okay, I'm done. Let's talk about one more quick thing before you go. Your action item of the day, there was a horrendous fire in a Bronx apartment building just last week. So if you look for the Gambian Youth Organization GYO page on GoFundMe, there's a verified GoFundMe. I would also like to use this as a time to remind people that it's silly to spend this time pointing fingers at the residents. Because a lot of people are saying if only the residents had remembered to close their doors, this wouldn't have been so horrendous. Because the fire traveled through an open door to the rest of the building. But the problem is, a lot of older buildings the doors don't always close like they should. There are other construction-related structural issues that we won't go into today, but the point is this building had some wear and tear and was vulnerable to a fire, regardless of who left their door open. And it just seems unproductive to say the main takeaway is close your doors because sometimes in a building like that, it just, that's easier said than done to ensure the door stays closed. Just have compassion for the victims in that condemnation. Don't frown upon them, please. So anyway, yes, please lend support to the Gambian Youth Organization. That's all today for me. Thank you all for listening so much as always, and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everyone.